previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. There are some kids at my job that they're like, I want to work all the time and make all the money. And I'm like, okay, you have the rest of your life to work. Trust me. Please enjoy being a high school kid. From Delaware, almost live. This is a Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. It's episode 86 of the Sports Refuge, the show where guests share their connection to sports. And as always, I'm your host, Earl Holland. Running can be a painful experience. Just ask friend to the show and multiple time guest Vanessa Junkin. Over the years, Junkin has piled up a lot of wear and tear training for marathons and half marathons, sustaining ailments ranging from the traditional shin splints and even an inexplicable fracture of her ribs. But one of her most painful experiences stemmed from an incident in late 2020, where Junkin was struck by a car while on an evening run. In this episode, I catch up with Vanessa as we talk about that experience, as well as how the pandemic affected her running goals in 2020. We'll also delve into Junkin's previous career in journalism, how she found an interest in writing, and much more. And now, my interview with Vanessa Junkin. And with me is a guest that a lot of you guys are familiar with, Vanessa Junkin with her third appearance. How are you doing today, Vanessa? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. The pandemic has made things a little bit easier to, I guess, line up people, but there's still things people want to do, even though they're sort of limited right now by what's going on out there. Yeah, definitely. Looking back, it's been almost a good year since you were on the show. What was your 2019 like? So I was just thinking about this and 2019 does seem like so long ago just because 2020 was such a different year. But 2019 was a pretty good year, I guess, as far as my running. So I usually like to run two marathons a year and then kind of base my training around that. There's a lot of other races that I do like every year given last year. But in 2019, I ran the Salisbury Marathon for the first time, which will be having its fourth race this year. So I'm actually the coach for that race. And then this year I'm going to run the half. And then I also ran the Marine Corps Marathon, which was actually on my birthday. And it had the worst weather at that time that I had for a race. I recently was saying the race I did this Saturday actually surpassed the Marine Corps Marathon 2019. But it was a torrential downpour and my feet were basically destroyed but I was able to finish and then I got to pace a few races in 2019 which I enjoyed doing um, for half marathon so I will keep up a consistent pace for the entire half marathon to try to help people reach their goals and it was a good year and I've definitely missed some races I've been able to happen in 2020 but I definitely missed the social aspect afterwards, like hanging out with everybody and not having to worry about, you know, how close you get to everyone and all kinds of new things that we now have to worry about because of COVID. I know you were talking about the Marine Corps Marathon and you were talking about your feet. One question I've always forgot to ask you is, what is your body feeling like after a race? Describe the pain or whatever you're feeling once you hit the finish line. Yeah, so it definitely depends on the race. I was extremely sore after Marine Corps because even though you do a lot of training leading up to a long race, but because you are attempting to go at a faster speed than your training pace, it's just harder on your body. And that race, since it was a downpour, there was a part where you ran through the water, then later it got hot. So my feet were kind of like pruny and they kind of like froze in like a, not froze like as in being cold, but they kind of like were in a position where like the skin was kind of folded and I had some blisters, a lot of like leg soreness. So because that race is so huge, they were unable to have an in-person race since COVID. But at that time, it's multiple thousands of people, maybe like 30,000 or something like that. So when you're finished the race, you have to go. I thought it felt like such a long walk afterwards to get anything you left in a drop bag to pick up like food, get a photo like so but I think it was maybe like half a mile or something. But that's a lot after you just finished 26.2 miles. So I was just totally ready to sit down and relax. I think then we still walked back to the place we were staying. 
So it was a little bit more walking, but at least I knew I was getting closer to sitting. So, and I would say like for a shorter race, sometimes, you know, you might still be in pain, but the longer the race for me, definitely the more pain I'm in just because it's more unusual in the distance, I guess, and trying to run faster than a training run. What's a part of your body that aches the most that people wouldn't expect? I know you mentioned your feet, you know your legs, but anything else that really people wouldn't expect for a runner to have soreness and fatigue in? Well, one thing that I think would be less expected was another race that I did last year actually was the 25K, which is in the Elkton area. And it was extremely hilly and where I live in Salisbury and... Anywhere around here on the shore is very flat, and that race was extremely hilly. So my back started to hurt a lot, like my lower back, I think, because I was like leaning forward, trying to go up the hills and things like that. So, I mean, sometimes you just kind of sore everywhere, but I I guess that's a little more unusual than like legs or feet, because those would be expected. How do you sort of decompress after a run like that? I know they say that you got to keep your legs going, especially because the lactic acid will build up and things like that. But what do you do after the race? How do you just sort of try to wind down so you're able to even sleep comfortably later in the day? I think sleeping is never a problem for me. I can always pretty much sleep, especially after a race. And after a marathon or I have done 150K and then started one this weekend, wasn't able to finish. But for the marathons and 50K that I did, I took off a whole week afterwards because you are sore for the next, for me, it's like probably about two to three days. And after that, I just think it's kind of good to just give my body a rest, let it get kind of back to normal after stressing it a lot but I also like to go to other areas so a lot of times I am active at least in like walking around I like to get something good to eat get something to drink you know just kind of celebrate and it was fun after the Marine Corps which starts and ends in Arlington like if you go to a restaurant or something or a bar or something like that and you would see other people and then you could talk about like how crazy it was and what the weather was like and any race you do if it's like a big race like that there's usually other runners in town and you can kind of have something in common just by if you're wearing your medal or you're wearing a shirt or something like that from it. Do you have a day of routine a day after is there anything you eat in particular do you eat anything particular afterward to recover or anything like that? something in particular. I mean, I'm really into sweets. So I'll at the the race I did this weekend, they have Smith Island cake. So that was cool. You know, sometimes it's nice to have a beer afterwards. A lot of races have beer at the finish line. Um, things have changed. There's not really post-race parties anymore, but I could always have whatever I like to eat at home. I really like crab dip or like a burger, like something that feels like, you know, like a celebration food, I guess is good. <laughs> And then beforehand, a lot of times I don't get up early enough for a training run to eat something, but it is good, obviously, to fuel up a little bit before a run. So if I'm doing a race, a lot of times I'll like make some oatmeal or something and eat that maybe like two hours ahead of the start time. I know that, of course, we've talked before about the carb load. It's something now that I'm going the opposite direction dietary-wise where carbs are pretty much at a premium. But to you, what are some of the better foods that you would eat that are high in carbs that help you load up for a race? So I feel like I eat a lot of carbs all the time. So I don't focus on it that much. But I mean, I like pasta. I like bread a lot. We eat a lot of vegetables. And I feel like I always kind of have a lot of carbs. So I'm kind of, I don't usually focus that much on eating more just because I already have so many probably. I know, of course, you're a fan of corn because that was yeah. always coming out when they uh, yeah. did our uh, Thanksgiving draft. Yeah. And I know that was one of your, uh, I guess, prize crops and prize picks in our yeah. first one when we did one at the Daily Times. How do you like your corn? I mean, I don't even really eat corn all that much, but I do really like it. Corn on the cob is always good and something I don't have that often, but I do really like Mexican street corn. It's really good. It has like a cheese sauce type thing and some spices and stuff like that. But I'll really eat it anyway. Corn pudding? Um, I am not positive I've ever had corn pudding, but I would try it (laughs) if I haven't had it. 
See, that was the funny thing, because I know when we did the holiday parties, that I would try making different stuff. There was a story of, like, the seven-pound meatloaf. There was a few other different things, but when I was working in a news journal, I actually did uh, corn pudding for a holiday party. Okay, cool. And honestly, looking at it now, I can't have hardly any of that stuff that was in there. It was basically eggs, a little bit of flour, well, cinnamon you can have, milk, plenty of sugar, plenty of corn, <laughs> trying to think what else. But yeah, it's all about getting the consistency of that, but it's weird. I've been doing keto since September, so pretty much under 25 carbs a day for the past six full months. But yeah, it's something to get adjusted to. Talking about all the different foods that I haven't been able to have. The only thing I really miss right now are potatoes. Okay. I do eat a lot of potatoes, so I would miss that too. (laughs) Going into your 2020, I know you mentioned your 2019. What was that like adjusting to not having a lot of in-person races? And when did the running community start taking COVID and everything seriously? So I think the running community started taking COVID seriously pretty, pretty early. Luckily, I got to do a few races before COVID really started becoming a major issue in the U.S. So it was like the last week of February, the weekend of February 29th to March 1st. I got to watch the Olympic marathon trials in Atlanta. And I also interviewed some participants for Run Washington. So that was a really cool experience. And then the day after that, they had the Publix Atlanta marathon, which anybody could enter. It wasn't like the Olympic trials. So then I ran the marathon there. And then two weeks later, I was supposed to meet up with a group of Bib Rave pros. I think it was two weeks later in Virginia Beach for the Shamrock Marathon weekend. I was going to do the half and an 8K. That was canceled very close to the date, probably that week, because I felt like, you know, at that time, people didn't really know how serious it was. People were going to try to go forward with events, but pretty much everything either got canceled or went virtual. So I ended up running that virtually. And then the Salisbury, um, I had signed up for the half that also went virtual. That was the first weekend of April. So there weren't really any in-person races for several months. We also, I'm a big part of the Eastern Shore Running Club and we have weekly group runs and we stopped those for about three months. Now we have different precautions in place. Like wearing a mask to the run. You can take it off while you're running, but you have it on before and after. Keep your distance in mind. Um, Don't come to the run if you have any symptoms or if you've been exposed or things like that. So we have some precautions in place, but for about three months, we didn't have group runs and we had people submit selfies to our Facebook group that we have. And then I would make them into a collage just to kind of like have some togetherness in a time when We couldn't physically be together, like when we had the stay-at-home order and things like that. And we had some fun different themes, like somebody suggested doing like different colors. So like one day we would all wear red and then like that would be a collage. And then the next day we all wear orange, something like that. So um, then the first race I did that was since March, since I did that marathon, was a trail race called the Nailer Mill 7K Um, It's on some trails in Salisbury, and it was a max of 100 runners. So it was small, and it was local, only about maybe 15-minute drive away. Because I have not really traveled for any races more than about an hour since COVID. You know, I used to enjoy traveling for races, but I'm not really traveling right now, so doing anything locally. But that was the first in-person one I did, and there was a health screening mask wearing before it started, kind of like the group runs. And then I was able to do some more in-person races since then. But there's definitely things that I miss about the, you know, not every race was able to happen and races aren't having after parties anymore. So I think the running community adapted pretty quickly, but, you know, it can't be exactly the same as it used to be. And there's a lot more virtual events now. I know you mentioned the social aspect of it. What is it about the social aspect that makes it such a community? Well, I think it's something really you look forward to when you finish a race. You can hang out with your friends. A lot of times I travel to a lot of races with one of my friends. Or if it's a local race, I often know a lot of people. Sometimes they have like a band or something like that. Kind of like a very celebratory atmosphere. And you can just kind of enjoy all having completed distance or meeting a goal or 
And of course, I really enjoy running with people. I always feel like the miles go faster when I'm talking to somebody. I like to talk a lot, so I will talk to whoever I'm running with. And if you get caught up in a conversation, you almost like forget that you're running sometimes. I mean, at least if you're going at an easy enough pace. I mean, sometimes you want to know that you're running, but other times if it's like a long run or something, you might be, you know, it's good to have some distractions. (laughs) What's the craziest or unique is conversation that you've had during a run um I don't really know like one specific conversation but I mean I know it's been said in many groups that sometimes you feel like you can say anything on a run or you know like it's just kind of like talking about anything really I can't think of specific examples but you know I feel like when you're talking to your friends when you're running like you kind of know that they're like somebody that you can trust and you can talk to, I guess. Going into the blog, She Runs by the Seashore, how have you seen traffic as the running has been limited due to COVID? Have you seen a sort of a spike, even though there isn't a lot of events you've been going to? Or My traffic was actually a little bit lower last year. I think it was because my total posts published was, was a lot lower than the previous year because I had less races. So for 2019, I had 82 posts. And 2020, I had 60 posts. I write something about every race I do. And I feel like since I ran at home for a few months, like I also write about different places I go. So I just did a little bit less. So I had less to write about. But it is interesting to see sometimes Posts from previous years will come up and people will be interested in those. I guess they're just finding it through Google or something like that. And then um, last month I got hit by a car and I wrote a post about it and that really spiked my traffic. So if it bleeds, it leads. So I wasn't surprised at all that that was a popular post. So maybe my 2021 traffic will be higher. And the good kind of traffic. Uh, I was going to ask you about the accident collision, I guess, using journalism talk yeah. as, as opposed to, you know, accident. But what happened there and just walking us through that whole experience, what it was like? Yeah. So I went for a run. It was January 15th near my house. It was dark because it was after work. Um, about probably left the house about 530-ish. And I was just going to try to get in a little short run before um, I had this yoga class that I was going to do from home at six. So I knew I didn't have really very much time, but I was like, maybe I can get in like two or two and a half miles or something like that. So I went for a run and then I was trying to cross a street that was near my house. At first I blamed myself, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, I was wearing a lighted vest. So there's things I think I could have done better. And also, I basically just want runners and drivers to be aware, like no matter who you are. I mean, it's obviously important to to look out. But I was trying to cross the street and I did not see a car coming at all. And then I just saw the grill of an SUV. And then I don't remember actually being hit. But at some point, I, I mean, I didn't pass out or anything, but I think my brain blocked out physically being hit. So then I was ending up sitting on the curb. Um, I was bleeding a lot, but wasn't extremely clear where it was coming from. And then the person that hit me called 911 as well as a neighbor that I guess had seen what happened or heard something. So the police and ambulance came really fast. And then I went to the hospital and I had some scrapes and bruises And I also had to get some staples in my head for a wound, but I didn't have any internal injuries and I didn't have any breaks. So I took off two weeks from running to rest because I was really sore. I would say a similar soreness to having run a long race, but it lasted longer for me to like feel a little bit normal, but it did gradually get better. And two weeks later, I did go out for my first run. So I was listening to music. So I have been more aware of that, just trying to make sure that I don't get too in the zone that I'm always making sure I know what's going on. And I was wearing a lighted vest, but it is very important to be visible, wear something like a lighted vest or something reflective or a headlamp. There's all kinds of different things that are made that you can be more visible. And I also want to use the opportunity to advocate for crosswalks because where I was crossing is right next to a, it's basically like a six way intersection and there aren't any crosswalks there. So 
to avoid the six-way intersection, I crossed, like, in the middle of a road where there's only one road rather than six, but then there's no crosswalk there either, so so it's kind of a, not a great spot to cross. So I had crossed there before, but something I want to get involved with, because since I do run so much, and I don't want it to happen to anybody else. And I still have a few more questions, if, if you're okay with that. First of all, did they hit you from the side? How did that occur? And did you tumble? Was there like a moment in the air or something like that? So I was hit on my right side, kind of like near like my thigh waist area, like on the side. I don't think I really went in the air because I don't know exactly what happened, but I didn't like go up on the car or anything like that. I'm thinking what, and I think she tried to swerve to hit me less or as small amount as she could. So I kind of was hit on the side of the car. I'm assuming that what happened was I was kind of like pushed to the ground by the car, but not like flying through the air. And getting hit, I know you talked about maybe the brain maybe blocked it out, but what's the first thought once it all happens? What are you feeling? What's the first thing going through your head? Well, the first thing that was going through my head was actually this... So I took a CPR class a couple years ago, and I have done another CPR class since then. But this first one that I went to, the guy had been an EMT, I think, for like 20 or 30 years or something like that. And he was talking about this early case where somebody um, was like in a car accident. It wasn't like a runner or anything, but they were... She was hit or involved in a car crash at some point, and then she was fine, and then she died like 30 minutes later or something. So that was kind of a worry of mine. Maybe it was a little bit irrational, but I was just hoping that it wasn't going to get worse because I was actually a little bit surprised that like, I was coherent. I felt pretty normal except for that I had like blood on my hands and I like didn't know like what was happening. Like, not didn't know what was happening, but I was just a little bit in shock. And wondering how that could have happened just because, I mean, I am still a little bit confused as to how it happened because I do always look before I cross the street. So I'm kind of like, how did I not see an SUV there? How did she not see me? Like, how did this happen? But luckily, you know, everybody like the EMTs and the people at the hospital, doctors, nurses, etc. Like everybody was very calm. So after more time passed. I mean, nobody seemed worried about me dying, really, except for me. So that was good. (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine you just look at it from your point of view perspective, where you're just looking out and seeing everything. You're seeing the lights, you're seeing the car, you're seeing the driver just try to find out if you're okay. That Mm -hmm. has to be super jarring. It was because I was mentally there. But I think I was just like, so... I don't know. I just kind of didn't. I was just shocked, really. I think that's probably the best way to say it. The person that hit me was really nice, which was good. Like she gave me her mask, actually. That was actually one of my first thoughts, too, because I didn't have a mask with me. And I was like, I don't have a mask. And not that anybody really seemed to care, but I have been wearing my mask everywhere. And it felt weird to not have one being around people. And they were like, probably like, that is not a huge concern, but <laughs> the person that hit me gave me her mask. And, you know, like I said, she called 911. Obviously, she stopped. I heard of an, an incident in, I think it was in Texas, that happened very recently where a woman was killed after being hit. And it was a hit and run, which I can't even imagine. So that was a completely different incident, but obviously very shocking. And just something to be aware of that I didn't really think I would be hit by a car. Who does? So it's just something to kind of keep in mind, like, hey, this can happen to you even if you think you're careful. Yeah, and I always think about some of the stories covered in the LA Times. I for, I'm trying to figure out what street it was. It might have been like near Toady Tank. Guy was running, and a car just plows him over. Yeah. And it's not even like, I can't say yours was low impact because I'm not sure what it was, but... It was a higher impact, faster speed. I don't know what happened with the driver. I don't even think the driver did hang around too long, but it was a bad case. And you think about that, how, and that was more broad daylight too, Mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, you were talking about a later in the day. Mm -hmm. And it was a little confusing that something like that that happened in broad daylight. I know everybody's going to be the fact that they're scared, but in the situation like that, you have to stick around and just not even for your own case, but for the health of the person that you hit because 
Definitely. I assume it's the same way they do it if someone hit a deer. Even though a lot of people probably pull off when they're not supposed to. You're supposed to wait, report it to the police, and then once that's all taken care of, then you can go. Unless everybody's all of a sudden worried about their insurance. Yeah, and if somebody did, for example, I mean, if you leave a deer or even worse, a person. I mean, if you leave somebody in the road, they could get hit again. They could get hurt. I mean, depending on where they are. I'm very thankful that I didn't get actually run over. I think that would have been a lot worse. That's why I'm thinking I got like bumped, I guess. I mean, I had to go to the hospital, but it was more like a bump and a push rather than getting plowed down or something. I noticed in your blog post when you mentioned when you were getting the examinations that you had found out you had some fractured ribs that healed as well. Yeah, that was actually just totally unrelated to being hit, but I had a really painful rib, I guess it was two ribs, in probably like November, December. I'd been coughing a lot. I never had COVID or anything, but sometimes I have like breathing issues when I'm running. So I had gotten an inhaler about probably a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half. And then I also recently got like a medicine for that. And I had gone to the chiropractor because this rib pain was just so bad. Like if I coughed or sneezed, it was like I had to like brace my whole body for the pain. And yeah, so I was like kind of surprised to find out that I actually had fractured them. And I'm glad they're healed now. Now I feel fine. But that was a surprise. You mentioned bracing for the pain when anytime you had that. What is the best description of the pain that came from the ribs? I guess like kind of like just like a shooting pain. It was just like super uncomfortable. Like I felt like the less I moved, the less it would hurt. But I mean, you kind of have to move when you're coughing or sneezing. So I would just try to cough, like do like a half cough or, you know, something that wasn't as much movement. Because I was going to say, it was like, well, there's somebody punching you like in the ribs or something. But I'm like, I don't think Vanessa would have ever gotten in a fist fight before. I mean, I haven't. So I guess I don't really know what to compare to as far as being punched. I was going to say, unless you were going to say, well, there's a funny story that happened where I did at one point. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but fortunately not. <laughs> Going into it, we were talking about a little bit, as you mentioned, your being one of your popular blog posts, going back a little bit into the journalism background, I think we may have mentioned it in the first episode, maybe didn't touch on it a lot in the second episode, but what was your interest in journalism? Was it more particularly in writing or is it more about just getting to know people and know the stories that they tell? Um, I think a lot of it was I've always had an interest in writing when I was Like a kid, I used to like write these like books. I mean, they weren't like real books, but you know, making up a story and writing something like that. I mean, I always was a good writer in school. I did yearbook when I was a senior and or a junior and a senior in high school. And I really enjoyed that. So we did writing, we did editing. I've always been a good editor, proofreader. We also did page design. So a job where I was able to combine all of those was working at the newspaper because when I started, I was a copy editor. So I did proofreading and I also did page design. And then I realized while I was doing that job that I really wanted to do the reporting. I like interviewing people. I like finding things out. Um, I've always been a very detail-oriented person. So that was kind of valuable. I think that's a good skill to have as a reporter. Um, Once you have a beat, you might notice if something's different or you make, you know, good relationships with people. You kind of get to know different people that will be helpful for your stories. And they start to trust you when they say that you do good work and, and things like that. So I really enjoyed all the aspects of it. When it comes to forging relationships and establishing relationships, how did you do that? What some of the depths that you had to do? I remember uh, another cost reporter talking about having to go to birthday parties of the kids of some of the state's attorneys. <laughs> Even when they weren't planning to be there, they would go there and just to build and establish relationships. Well, I actually didn't go to any birthday parties, so I just got to know people through asking questions, being in court, you know, people see you, you know, you might catch someone in the hallway. The prosecutors are pretty much a lot, like if you're covering the bigger cases, you know, there'd be a few of them that would handle the biggest cases, so you get to know them the best. And then a lot of the local lawyers, like some of the higher level public defenders you see a lot and, you know, certain private attorneys you see a lot. So sometimes there was someone I didn't really know that well, but I felt like the people that 
where they're the most or like for the police department, you know, the PR type people for the police department, police chief, the sheriff, you know, you kind of get to know the major players. And then sometimes there's the people on the scene don't really talk to you. But you know, sometimes you might come across, I don't know, a witness or something that didn't usually happen. But (laughs) but um, yeah, I mean, I think I just built relationships with them by, you know, talking to them, um, being honest. I don't know, things like that, being a reliable person to come to. It's interesting. You mentioned some of the public defenders. I try to keep a straight face, but I always think of something that Ben always talked about. He always talked about Arch McFadden, and there was like one incident where the guy just went off. I don't know if it was Arch McFadden who was the guy, but the guy went off on his defender and just, you know, started yelling profanities at him. And I would just... Like, I don't know why that's stuck in my head, <laughs> but every time I think of Ben Hill, I think him talking about Arch McFadden and it just makes me laugh uncontrollably. I feel like it's never good when the defendant like starts fighting with their lawyer. There was one case I covered where the defendant was like yelling at the judge. I don't remember who his attorney was, but that was like at his own sentencing. So that was a really bad choice. You know, if you don't mind, I'm actually curious about some of the more bizarre cases that you've covered and crime scenes and things like that, because crime seems, it feels like in this environment, especially for reporters, you don't really get to do that anymore. And I've been to my share of crime scenes. I know you've been to your share of crime scenes, and I can think of like at least five or six other people who've done at least one crime scene. If you've worked in a newspaper, regardless of where you've been, you've probably covered at least one crime scene. Yeah, um, definitely. Like one of the saddest ones was going to Princess Anne after a whole family had been killed with a carbon monoxide. Um, That was just so devastating. And I feel like, you know, there was just like a feeling around the area. There were like some community members around and That was just really bad. And a lot of times, like, I didn't always go to the crime scene right after it happened, so wasn't always there. But sometimes I feel like you don't always get to see, like, the inner workings of the crime scene. But I remember that as being, like, a really sad one. It's weird. I think sometimes as reporters, especially on crime beats and anything like that, a coworker of mine at my new job who used to work in newspapers talked about really working in the newsroom and especially covering the courts and cops, you get sort of a PTSD from it. You may not really notice it initially, but it occurs. I think of one of the first breaking news I covered was a teenager getting pulled out of the Wicomico River because he drowned. Mm. And then talking to his mom a day later, and you sometimes wonder just the people who are involved, the family members of the victims, how are they able to be this strong in a moment where no one would ever blame them to feel at their worst or or be down on themselves or just be down because you lose a loved one, no matter how it is, car accident, murder, drowning, things like that accident, they have a built-in excuse. Yeah, it was definitely, I did talk, even if I wasn't at every crime scene um, or incident, you know, depending on, it might have not always been a crime, but I did talk to a lot of loved ones of people that they had lost a loved one. And I did think it was important to kind of tell the story of who that person was, which I enjoyed doing that, even though it was really sometimes awkward to reach out to people. And if they didn't want to talk, I mean, that's totally up to them. And then sometimes I was thinking, like, it's weird, like, when I pass certain places, it reminds me of certain stories. You know, like if I did go to a crime scene or if I went to, I don't know, I'm thinking of like one house where there was a murder there and it's just like weird to think about like going past that house like somebody else might live there now. But different things I'll go by and, you know, it'll remind me of different stories over the years. Was there a story that emotionally affected you? I mean, I'm sure a lot of them did. I mean, just like, you know, and even when I was just hit by a car, I mean, like, I did think a lot about like people are in these car crashes all the time and die. You know, there were some that were like really young. There were some that were older. It's just sad to think that like probably some sort of loss, like an average of, I would guess almost like once a week, once every two weeks. I mean, sometimes it might be more common. Sometimes it might be, depending on the time of year, obviously it's not going to be an exact science, but yeah, like definitely because I think about these stories and, 
cases still like and you know I kind of wonder like how are these people doing and you know some people like I would reach out to on Facebook so then they like friended me or something so I'm like friends with them on Facebook like the loved ones. I guess sort of making things a little bit brighter after talking a lot of the, the dark stuff about it. What was your favorite story to write? One of my favorites was I got to um, cover a case at the Supreme Court, which was really cool. And I think the guy was your um, classmate, maybe, that it related to. It was a case about DNA. It was Alonzo King. Um, oh, yes. I went to middle school with him. But um, but yeah, that was like a really interesting case. And it was just cool to get to go to the Supreme Court. And I talked to a guy from the New York Times. And that was just a really cool experience. But there were a lot of memorable stories over the years. To you, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give someone who wanted to get into print journalism? Because I feel like it's a different animal as opposed to television and radio. Yeah, definitely. Like I was really involved with my college paper, um, the flyer at SU, and I would definitely recommend doing something like that to get your foot in the door, get practice writing. I mean, ideally, you would enjoy writing, you would enjoy interviewing people. So I would say definitely get involved with your college paper or see what kind of freelancing opportunities there might be. And I did end up getting an internship at the Daily Times before I worked there. So that's a good way to see if you like a job, see if you fit in there, if you like covering the type of stories that they give you. Maybe that would help you find a beat. But I would definitely say like get involved and, you know, you could even start your own blog and get practice writing or something like that. I know we were talking about writing and I know you love to write. If you had a chance to write a book, what would it be about? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say for sure. I'd probably write something about running. But um, if I was going to write something about my own running, I feel like I would need to like, I know some people write memoirs when they're about 30 or so, but I don't know. I feel like I haven't quite lived enough to write a book, but I don't know. I mean, it would probably be something about running. I have done some freelancing for Run Washington and I've enjoyed talking to runners there. Like I, I talked to several people who qualified for the Olympic trials. So I guess I'd have to do a little bit of research if I wasn't going to write about myself, because writing about myself would be easy. But I also don't know if, if everyone would be that interested. So yeah, I would have to think about that. But I don't know. I feel like combining running and journalism would be ideal. Ever thought about writing anything fiction? I know being in a career path where you've always had to write about the truth and not over embellish it, would it make writing fiction hard? Oh. Probably. Um, I mean, I don't know if I could write like a whole book. I mean, when I was little, I used to, but they probably weren't like full length books. But I mean, I'd have to really plan it out. And I don't know, I guess just like have a plan of where I wanted it to go and make it realistic. I know a lot of just based on listening to authors interviews over the years and stuff or like a Q&A audiobook. I feel like a lot of the authors, they do research regarding what they write about. So I think that would make it a lot easier or not easier, but if you have the knowledge to write, just because you're writing fiction, I still think you can do research and make it realistic and stuff like that. So I'd probably try to do something like that if I were ever going to do that. Going from, I guess, the writing ranks to... If you had a story or a movie written about your life or done about your life, first of all, who would you have starred you? That's a hard one. Um, so I know, going back to Ben, I know that he thinks I look like um, Busy Phillips, I think. So maybe I'd pick her. If she already looks like me, then why not have her play me? <laughs> what is the celebrity that you've been told that you resemble the most? Well, it could be either her or um, my grandmother has said that I look like Alison Krauss. She's like a country music person. So I guess one of them. We had this whole big discussion. We also talked about Danielle Fischel. Okay. Yeah, Topanga from yeah. Women's World. That's understandable. She'd be cool to, to have play me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. When you ask people something like that, sometimes you have to separate who would you have stars you and the celebrity you most look like? Because sometimes people will go with the person that looks like them to be the person that stars in the movie, as opposed to some people will go with someone who feels like they would match their personality the most. Yeah. That could be hard to think about too. Cause then when you see actors or actresses, like, 
you know, you might identify them with a certain character. I know I do that. Like if you've seen someone playing the same character for like 10 years or something, you might think they're actually like that person. And then you find out their real personality is totally different. They're just really good at playing that part. I think it is one movie, I think it's called Age of Adelaide, where this guy, he looks like the younger version of Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford is also in the movie, too. He plays him about 50 years later. And everybody was on the bandwagon for him to play young Han Solo. They wanted someone else, but it's just some people who are just extreme dead ringers. It makes people, I guess, like, it looks just like him. Why not stick with that? Even though some people say it's the laziest way of doing a casting choice you go with the person who acts the most like them and you can always do makeup or something to at least have them favor who they're supposed to be portraying yeah i'll have to think about that one more than see who has a matching personality too <laughs> what have you been binge watching i assume you've been working from home or you've been working in the parks recreation and tourism department i was working from home at the beginning of the pandemic then i went back for several months and i have been working from home again so a little bit of both i guess <laughs> What was that like, especially starting working from home, then going back and then returning back home? Um, I mean, I feel like I do the same work in the office or at home. So, I mean, it's a little bit different, obviously, but I already lived super close to work. So my commute really, it's not like I saved a bunch of time by not commuting or commuting. But, you know, it's a little bit different, like not having your coworkers around and people to talk to, but... I'm also just like a very cautious person. So if I like regarding COVID and regarding a lot of things, probably, but if I can avoid going places, if I can get my work done from home, then I'm cool with that. And I'm sure that I'll be going back at some point and we'll just get back into doing that from the office. <laughs> Doubling back to, I remember you talking about cautious and it made me think about you going in front of the city council talking about crosswalks. Was it city council or county council? Um, So I am going to talk to the city council, but I was going to chat with them. I was ideally going to log on last Monday. So I had also reached out to the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee. So I figured I would go to them first since it's kind of their specialty. Um, so I'm actually going to be speaking to them at their meeting, kind of like about what I went through, um, planning to let them know that I would like to have a crosswalk there. I'm not really sure exactly what the process is, but I am a city taxpayer and I would love to see that happen for anybody. It's right near Y High, so students will, that would be the area that students would need to cross if they live in my neighborhood or if they live in across Route 50. So I'm going to talk to them first next month and then... Um, I'm still leaving it open to talk to the city council as well, but I haven't done that quite yet. I know you were talking about being a taxpayer. I know it's something completely different once you're a homeowner as opposed to a renter. What has that been like? Um, I think it's been great. So my boyfriend Mike and I have been here in our house about a little more than five years. And it's just nice to know that you own it. You can do whatever you want. You know, you can paint, you can get new appliances. We also pay a little bit extra each month. So we're getting closer to, I guess, to fully owning it. I mean, it'll still be a while, obviously, but we recently were able to not pay the private mortgage insurance. We got to 20% paid. So that was an exciting milestone. So, you know, it's cool to, to own a home. And, you know, the only negative, I guess, is that, you know, if something does go wrong, then you need to fix it. So, <laughs> I mean, but Mike is really good at that. I'm not the, really the, the handy woman, I guess. <laughs> yeah we're getting into owning our own house where we've been in for almost five months and it's a great experience the one thing is we've learned that even with like pmi mm -hmm. we are paying far less than what we're paying renting that's great and then you know that you're putting it toward like you know rather than paying someone else you're paying for your own home so that's nice too yeah. And the big thing, of course, you know, you got other things, sewage, water. And I know electricity has sort of doubled, but then again, we were very, I guess, stingy on energy in any way. Any bill that was over $100 was an alarm for us if yeah. we were in an apartment. But now it's like, okay, it, 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 worst case, it's only double that because it's a bigger house and everything like that. Yeah, that sounds good. What have you been binge watching over the past year plus? Yeah, so I feel like I have watched tons of shows. It's hard to even remember 
all of them. But one of the ones that we did binge watch that I really liked that I think a lot of people binge watched was um, Shit's Creek. I thought it was really funny. I hadn't watched that show at all before. Um, right now we are watching um, Better Call Saul, which is a prequel to Breaking Bad, but I actually have not watched Breaking Bad. So that might be a later. Still going to be home for a while, probably. So there'll be plenty more time to watch more shows. Then there were some other shows that like came out with, you know, another season. So watch the next season. Sometimes watch like stand up comedy, something like that. Kind of just like whoever's on there. So I think like a wide variety. I like a lot of like comedy shows, but sometimes watch more serious shows as well. Who is your favorite current stand up comedian and who's your all time favorite stand up comedian? Hmm. I don't know if I have like an absolute favorite. I like um, sometimes watching like people that I liked from different shows. Like I know I watched some um, Aziz Ansari ones that were pretty funny. We also were watching um, some of Chappelle's shows. So that was fun. Um, So I don't know if I have like an all time favorite, but I like just we were watching some of the Seinfeld comedians in cars drinking coffee. So a little bit of everything, I guess. What are your thoughts on Chappelle's show? I know I was in college when it first started, which is a while back, 2003. Mm -hmm. So I think, when were you first exposed to that? And then I guess, is it any differently from watching it maybe back then as it is now, if you were able to watch it back then? Yeah, so I never really watched it before. So it's kind of interesting watching it now because, I mean, it is funny, but there's also like things that I don't really think would be released today. So it's just kind of like um, a different view, I guess, but... I mean, I don't know. I've, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, because I'm always curious because you never know. Some people react differently to certain things because, yeah. you know. Do you watch any crime documentaries and things like that? I mean, I assume after years of covering it, it's like, do you really want to deal with it anymore? Um, I have watched some. I mean, I watched like the Making a Murderer series. I thought that was interesting. I feel like I watched some other true crime things, but maybe not recently because I... I mean, I listened to um, Serial. That was a while ago, but I thought that was interesting. Um, So I'm trying to think of other ones I watched recently, but um, I guess I haven't watched a lot recently because I can't remember them. So, but um, yeah. Yeah, I honestly, I feel like I mentioned it so many times, like a broken record. A lot more documentaries. There was the McMillions one I watched, and that was probably in the summer, maybe a little bit before Tiger King. I know it was on Hulu. (laughs) Uh, Tiger King or McMillions? Tiger King. I still can't bring myself to watch it, (laughs) but there were so many different documentaries I watched. I was watching The Last Dance with the Chicago Bulls, McMillions. There was one about John DeLorean, or maybe it was about Back to the Future. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't really uh, remembered that one. There are, there's a few others. And then pretty much my watching regimen, as I've mentioned before, is a bunch of old game shows. I ran through Murder, She Wrote, and we've been watching a lot of old sitcoms. We watched Seinfeld, Frasier, Taxi After Cheers, and then other stuff. We're sort of watching New Girl. Oh, yeah, well. like New Girl. I watched that, like, a while ago, but I could always rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, trying to pick up on The Flash. Are you a big comic book fan or a comic book movie fan? Um, not really. I mean, not that I'm, like, against it, but I just haven't really gotten into them, so. Yeah, I know it's, it's something different for everybody. Everybody has their preference and things like that, which, you know, it's honestly, it, it's great that everybody's different. You never know, because... You never assume that someone is a big fan or something or isn't a big fan of something because there's so many times where you see someone like, oh, you probably don't know all of this. And then next thing you know, they're the first one who schools you on everything. <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't want to assume because you never know if they could surprise you. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the last in-theater movie you've watched? Hmm. I am not positive because I really didn't go to the movies very often before. And now I definitely haven't been in a while. I don't know if it was the last one. I saw this movie. It was like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I'm like, that might have been the last one. But I'm like, that was a long time ago. So I don't know. It'd be maybe nice to go to the movies again now that I haven't been for probably a few years. Yeah, it's interesting. We last saw Wonder Woman 1984 in the theater. And that was in late December. Okay. And 
I'm debating whether there's anything in the theater that'd be worth watching mm-hmm. on my birthday because me and Steph always went to see a movie in the theater either on her birthday or my birthday. Okay. I don't even know if there's anything of an interest right now. I don't know. I feel like um, a lot of shows and um, movies might just have been delayed because of COVID. So I don't know. Hopefully you can find something to watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. Now, I know there's plenty of things to watch on streaming. We've been uh, getting into WandaVision. Uh, I know they pay homage to a lot of the uh, classic television shows and styles from the past, what, 60, 70 years of television. Well, Vanessa, I really do appreciate you being a part of this interview and especially talking in depth about everything that's been going on the past year. Is there anything else that you'd like to touch on that you feel like we haven't mentioned that you think would be important? And if there's anything like you that you'd like to promote? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was the main stuff that we talked about. But um, I mean, if I always like to promote my blog, which is at SheRunsByTheSeashore.com, also on Facebook with She Runs by the Seashore and Instagram and Twitter with my name at Vanessa Junkin, J-U-N-K-I-N. So blogging about different races that I do and um, different places I've been running since I haven't been traveling too far. Um, I have been exploring some different locations on Delmarva with, with a couple friends. So that's been fun. Get out of the house a little bit and do something different, but not going too far. So that's been fun. Once everything clears up, what's the next long distance race you'd like to attend? Um, so I, last year I had signed up for the Philadelphia Marathon, um, which was supposed to be in November. Um, I had actually signed up the previous November to do it in November 2020. And it was canceled because it's a huge event. So I am hoping to do that one again. I don't know where we will be in November 2021, but I'd really like to do that, you know, and I have been to Philly before, but I haven't run that race. And then I always like, I'd eventually like to do a marathon in every state. So maybe I'll get to a new state at some point, but it's hard to tell, but I am excited for things to get a little bit more normal. It was great to discuss journalism and writing with Vanessa, and as always, I look forward to having her on again. Next time, we drop the R&B Mixtape Volume 2 with guests Thomas Banks, Christian Blake, and Corey Colick. We'll discuss more unpopular R&B opinions, talk about the state of the genre, and much more. As always, all episodes of The Sports Refuge can be found wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and as well as on The Sports Refuge website. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of these apps and also leave a mention, which we'll read on a future episode. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.